We're going to turn today to a portion of God's holy word called the Pastoral Epistles, specifically 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you'll find that in your Bible. And let us look now at the written word that reveals to us the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see not just words on a page, but we come face to face, we encounter the living Christ as we look at his word. So are you ready for this? Beloved, let us go to Jesus now in his word. First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus, these three books in the New Testament are called the pastoral epistles. They were written to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and they were written to Titus, the book of Titus. Uh, two of Paul's protégés, two of Paul's uh, helpers in the ministry. Timothy was in the large city of Ephesus where there was presumably a large city church and Titus was on the small island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea and presumably a small rural church. But when you look at what Paul wrote to Timothy in the big city church and to Titus on the small country church, you see very similar things. You see that the church, wherever it is, needs godly leadership. It needs qualified oversight. And so you find in 1 Timothy 3, the text we look at today, very similar words to what you would find in Titus chapter 1. Uh, just a quick overview. First Timothy, this pastoral epistle written by the apostle Paul to his young son in the ministry, Timothy. He tells him in chapter 1, he warns him against false teachers. He tells him in chapter 2, here's how the public worship is to be ordered, uh, emphasizing the importance of prayer and the roles of women and men. He comes to chapter 3, and he talks about the qualifications of elders and deacons. In chapter 4, he comes back again and warns about false teachers and promotion of sound doctrine. Timothy, warn against false teaching and preach sound doctrine. In chapter 5, he talks about how to care for different groups in the church. Older men, older women, widows. In chapter 6, he says, Timothy, guard your motives, stand firm in the faith, live above reproach, minister faithfully. And that's just a quick, real quick overview of 1 Timothy and some of the big themes that come out. And it's interesting if you were to read in one sitting, 1 Timothy, six chapters, you could read it in 15 minutes or less, or 2 Timothy, four chapters, or Titus, three chapters. If you would read these books, you would find these same themes coming up again and again and again. Beware of false teaching. Preach sound doctrine. Guard your motives. Minister faithfully. Be mindful of different groups in the church and the different needs in the church. Have a shepherd's heart for this group and that group and so forth. Why would God give us three books like this called the pastoral epistles if he was not 
very interested in how the church functions. Basically, these pastoral epistles are, well, they're a handbook for church life. They're a church manual. Nowadays, it's popular to to do a survey, pass out surveys or email surveys to the church and say, what do y'all want to do for church? Let's devise church the way we prefer it. And that may mean a certain style of music or it might be certain components in the church. It might be uh, targeting a certain demographic. We want to reach young people. We want to reach the young marrieds. We want to reach bikers or cowboys. Uh, We want to have this kind of church or that kind of church. And that's really irrelevant what we want, isn't it? Because God has given us three inspired books called the pastoral epistle saying, here's what I want the church to do. And here's what I I want you to focus on. And here are your functions and do it like this. It's his church after all, isn't it? It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called by grace to be a part of it. But he's the head of the church. And so we are to hear carefully what God says about the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of truth. And he says at the end of chapter 3, Timothy, I'm writing these things to you so you may know how to behave in the house of God. And he says, I hope to come shortly, but until I can get there, here's what I want you to be about. Do these things. So we're going to jump right in the middle of 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at the qualifications for elders. I meant to mention earlier in announcements when we were talking about various things to pray for that I did forget the two details in the bulletin this this week, and I apologize. Uh, This Saturday is our men's breakfast at 8 and had a great breakfast last month, February 1st, 8 a.m., men's breakfast. And then next Sunday, February 2nd, we forgot to put that date in there. But most of you, I think, know by now, don't you, that the first Sunday of February is our church anniversary. It, it's that way every year. But anyway, uh, first Sunday of February, it falls on Fe- February 2nd this year. Uh, we'll have our covered dish. We will... Uh, Rejoice in God's goodness to us. 41 years old this February, our church is. 41 years old, 40, 41st church anniversary. And we are also planning to install as, as elders of our church, uh, Isaac and Tim. It'll be a great, great time of rejoicing. We've heard from you folks. You've been in prayer for months now about this, and, and you've given your input if you have any to give, and we've heard it and received it. Uh, with great interest, and it is our plan next week to to do that, and it'll be a great day to do it on our church anniversary. Are these men qualified? Let's look at 1 Timothy 3. Is anybody qualified? Well, yes. This is the standard, though. This is God's standard. We do not install elders. We do not put in positions of leadership those who are wealthy, you know, money buys a lot of things in this world. If you've got money, you can have pull, right? You can pull strings and levers, and you can have connections. You can get your will done if you have money. But that's not the way the church is to function. It's not based on wealth. It's not based on 
earthly credentials. Someone is a successful businessman in the community. Well, let's make them a deacon or an elder because they've run a successful business. That's not the way the church is to do it. It's to look deeper than just outward success and financial success and credentials in this world. It's to look at a certain kind of man, a certain kind of character, a certain, not skill set, because skills are not even mentioned here except just, just one. It's a, it's a certain kind of person, a character. Let, let's look at the scriptures now. First Timothy 3, verse 1. And I'm going to read down through verse 7, and then we'll come back and look at the specifics. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop or an overseer, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt or able to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity or respect. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, that is the outsiders, those outside the church, unbelievers, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And then verse 8, he begins with the qualifications of the deacons. And so God has revealed his heart here, hasn't he? He's told us, the church is important to me, Jesus says. And the Holy Spirit says, and God the Father says, the church is important. I want it done a certain way, and I want this kind of man to oversee and to lead and to care for. He says, if a man desires the office of a bishop, the he desires to oversee. He desires to serve in God's church. He says that's a good desire and it's a good work. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to labor for something that's going to last, is it not? I've heard preachers say I'd have to step down to become the president. You ever heard a preacher say that? I would have to step down and take a demotion to become the president of a nation because they consider it to be a high calling before God to be entrusted with a little flock, a little part of his family. It is a high calling indeed. It's a good work. And if a man desires that, it's because the Holy Spirit has put that desire in there. It is because he aspires to do something the Holy Spirit has burdened his heart to do. No man should endeavor to do this unless the Holy Spirit has stoked that fire and has led that way and made that clear. And if a man desires that, it's a good work and it's a good thing. Well, it's not just enough to have a desire. He must also have the right qualifications. What are they? Verse 2 begins to list them. 
And there's some 16 or 17 requirements depending on how you break them down. A bishop then must be, it is an absolute necessity, he must be blameless. That's the first one. You say, aha, blameless. Well, we all are disqualified if we mean sinless. Does he mean sinless? A bishop, an overseer must be sinless. Well, then there will be no overseers because there are none sinless. Blameless has the idea. It's also used, by the way, of deacons in verse 10. A deacon is to be blameless. It's used in chapter 5, verse 7 of the widows who are taken into the number and supported by the church. They're to be blameless. And it's used in Philippians 2.15 of every believer. Every believer is to be blameless in this world as a follower of Christ. So this standard here applies to all of us. Blameless has the idea of no valid accusation of wrongdoing can be put to your charge. No overt or flagrant sin. It's a personal life that's beyond legitimate scandal. Now, you know that folks can dream up scandals and they can find faults where there's very little fault. So this idea here is not, can the critics find a fault? Because nitpickers can always find faults. Amen? It is talking about legitimate scandal. It's talking about in a moral sense, a a criminal sense even, is this person above reproach? Are they unrebukable? Have they lived a, a consistent Christian life? This is what we're all called to, all of you, all of us, blameless. We're not to be one thing on Sunday and something else on Monday. We're not to sing praises and hymns on Sunday and use profanity and everything else on Saturday. We're not to cherish our families on Sunday morning, and and that's a good thing to do on Sunday morning, but it's not just then. We're to have eyes for our wives only, men. Amen, men. We're to respect our husbands' wives and not join in the gossip parties where the women will want to jump on and run down the men. And and men and women are at fault in both those things I just mentioned and many more. I'm saying God is calling us to consistency, a blamelessness. There's nothing there that can be legitimately held to and laid hold of as a moral failing. So that's the first one, blameless. Secondly, the husband of one wife. The Greek literally says a one-woman man, a one-woman kind of man. Not a flirtatious man, not an immoral man, not a promiscuous man. Not a man who's always shifty-eyed and looking here and there. And, and men, we have to be careful because we're always bombarded, aren't we, with images and, and billboards and websites and magazines and you go through line to get some milk in the grocery store and you're checking out and you almost got to go like this through the checkout line. I think of Pilgrim's Progress and one time there was a temptation. Christian was tempted by Madame Wanton. She was a wanton, a, a faithless lady. And, and he says, I was able to escape from her. And yet he says, I'm not sure I fully escaped after all. It was as if that image burned in his mind. And though he turned away from her, somehow a seed was planted there that he still must battle. Even if he never looks that way again, he's still got that thought there. What a battle it is in this world to be upright men. 
How many preachers have we seen fall? Morally. And what does Satan do when that happens? How he gloats. How he undermines the church. Beloved, pray. Brothers, watch and pray. The husband of one wife, a one woman kind of man. Vigilant. I'm not going to go in great depth to all these. These are most of them fairly self-explanatory. Vigilant, that is self-controlled, alert, watchful. Sober, clear-headed, alert, sensible, able to think clearly, able to look at a situation clearly. Sober, of good behavior, respectable. Uh, Lover of strangers, that's what literally says, given to hospitality. The home is open for ministry. And the home is used as a blessing to saint and sinner alike. Given to hospitality. And here's the one skill mentioned. Everything else is kind of a character trait. Here's the one job, the one skill, able to teach. Able to teach. Able to take the Word of God and bring it to bear on any situation. Is somebody struggling in the church with uh, whatever? We could name a hundred things. How can I take God's Word and bring that to bear on your particular trouble? You got trouble with your, your child. You got family turmoil. You need to be able to have somebody that can say, now here's how... God addresses this in his word. Here are the appropriate passages. Here's what they mean. And here are some suggestions how you can come under the authority of these scriptures and put these things into practice in in your family. Able to teach. Able to teach. He's known for that. He he loves strangers. He loves the word. He teaches the word. He He's known for not these, further, these following things. He's not known as a drinker. He's not given to wine. He's not enslaved to wine. He's not a drunkard. He's not addicted to, to wine. He realizes that alcohol clouds his judgment. He must have a clear head. He must be able to set a good example. He's not a striker. He's not a fighter. He's not violent. Always ready to come to blows. Always ready to blow his stack. Got a short fuse and ready to get in your face and fight about it. That man is not qualified. He's not a striker. He's not greedy of filthy lucre. He's not in it for money or longing for money. He's patient. He's gentle. The ESV says gentle there. He's patient or gentle with people. Not a brawler. That is quarrelsome. He's not one that promotes disunity. He is peaceful and he's reluctant to fight. Sometimes you have to fight. Sometimes things are worth fighting for. Amen? But as a rule, God would have his overseers to be peacemakers, peaceful men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live at peace with all men. Promote the unity of the flock. Not a brawler, not covetous. Not a lover of money, a lover of stuff, a lover of things. 
One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. So here's a man that is first told by God, you've got a little flock there called your, your wife and your children. Shepherd them. Shepherd them. There's only just a little handful of them, and they're right out from you. They're kin to you. They're of your loins and your womb, mamas and of your loins, daddy. And so here, take this little flock and, and shepherd them and train them. And if you prove faithful with a little flock of three or four, then you're qualified to look over God's flock. God says, you must prove trustworthy with your bride and your children before I'll entrust you with my bride and my children. And he says, verse 5, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That little phrase, take care of, is used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in the story of the Good Samaritan where a man falls among thieves and he's beaten and robbed and stripped and he's laying there about to die and here comes a priest and he passes by on the other side and has no compassion and no time. And here comes a Levite and he does the same thing. And here comes a, a Samaritan, those hated Samaritans. And yet he is moved with compassion. It says he took him and set him on his own beast and took him to an inn and said, whatever he needs, put it on my account. I'll pay you when I come back through. And it says he took care of him. Our same phrase we find here in verse 5. The only two times in the New Testament the phrase is used. It speaks of a tender, compassionate care shown by the Good Samaritan for the man who was wounded. And it speaks of how we are to shepherd the flock. Care for, oversee with tender, compassionate care. So your testing ground is your family. And, and this, having your children in subjection with all gravity, most commentators believe that that means while they are under your care at home, while they are little under your table, while they're little around your, 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 your living room, while they're little and at home, once they grow and leave and fly and begin their own lives, well, that's on them now. But while they're under your care, while they're under your authority, they are to be taught and trained, and they are to see a consistency in you so that they, with all respect, obey you. And yet, our children are little sinners, aren't they? They will express their wills. They will not be perfect. And I would uh, encourage you to be patient with any pastor that has children. We do live in glass houses, as they say. And, and so you see and watch and know all the faults of, of those who are in leadership. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for their children. He's not to be a novice, verse 6, not a new convert, not a neophyte, one recently brought to the faith. Uh, he's not ready for that. A new convert is not ready for that. One of the worst things we can do anywhere, I see it happening in Christianity in general, someone gets saved and we immediately 
put them on a tour. They're a musician. Let's send them across the country and play for people. Well, they don't even know the basics of the faith yet. Let's, let's, let's tell them to take a time out and a pause and take about two or three years and sit under some good sound teaching and then, then go on the tour. Isn't that wiser? Isn't that better, you think? They don't know anything yet. They're new. They need to be grounded. They need to be taught. They need to be able to understand and fill in the big picture of biblical theology and understand how this fits with that. And a new convert is not ready for leadership. Satan sought a position for which he was not qualified. And in his pride, he was cast down from heaven, was he not? A new convert is not Qualified, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So we prove a man, we test a man, we let a man have time to grow and then a time to prove himself. Some churches actually have an official season that they call a proving time. And we've done that unofficially, but we've done it. Where we watch and observe and give time and talk with and mentor and offer insight and suggestions. And lastly, moreover, lastly, verse 7, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. God has left us in the world. He's called us to be a witness to our unsaved neighbors and friends. Those outside the church, what are we to think of them? Are we to look at them with disgust? Are we to look at them and spit on the ground and say, oh, what filthy people. God's called us to evangelize them. God's called us to love them. Not to lift ourselves up and look at them with disgust as if they're nothing. For we were them just before the grace of God found us. That's what we were. Don't forget the the hole that God dug you out of. So, have a good, credible witness with outsiders and seek to share the gospel with them. And when you share the gospel with them, do it with, with some credibility because you've lived consistently before them. You've been a good neighbor. You know, can you imagine the way maybe some of us have, have, have treated or failed to acknowledge our neighbors and then all of a sudden the door comes wide open for us to get to minister to them, and we say, you know, I'd really like to share the gospel with them, but I've done some horrible things to them. I've not been a good neighbor. What am I going to say about Jesus now after I've, we went through that a while back? I'm just wondering. We need to be mindful of those kind of things, beloved. God's called us all to have a good testimony in this world. And if you blow it, I'm talking to all of us, if you have a squabble, a conflict, something doesn't go well with a neighbor, Show them in your repentance and in your apology, perhaps, the gospel. I'm not perfect, and I really didn't do well by you on that, and I'm so sorry. And I just want you to know God has convicted me of that, and I'm asking you to please forgive me. And perhaps they will see there is a humble man who's willing to admit his fault. There's a humble woman who's not a looking down her nose at me. She said she was wrong. And though I was wrong as well, she was the first to admit fault. And perhaps that'll help mend some, some conflict or remedy some conflict. So here is what God says about 
the oversight of his church. The church is important. Amen? The church is important. It is to Christ. May it be so to us more and more. May we pray for the church. Somebody told me this morning, I'm praying for our church. And they spoke a particular interest, a particular area of concern. And I said, yes, yes, keep praying. Keep praying about that. And it was about some who don't attend anymore that just kind of fizzled away. I said, I'm concerned for them. I'm, I wanted to come. I said, yes, me too. Pray. But pray they come back if they have wandered away. Pray they come back humble and repentant. Pray. Pray for me. Pray for Tim. Pray for Isaac. Pray for our church. Amen. Let's stand for prayer now. Our Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Son of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, who came into this world to break the back of Satan, who held us captive, to crush his head, to pay for sin, and to provide eternal, full salvation for all who would come and believe on him, whose precious blood paid the debt, whose rising again guarantees the victory, whose promises are sweet to us, whose instructions in, in your word, O oh Lord, are our very, our very meat. What else can we do? We cannot improve upon your word. Our ideas are not better than, than yours. And so give us humble hearts and eager hearts to carefully and closely follow the things you teach us. O oh Lord, so thankful are we for Jackson Bible Church. And now, in a week, we'll celebrate 41 years from an a excited time in 1979, and then immediately some tough and hard times of opposition and conflict and, and even division. And then now, all these years later, the same patterns have, have come, Lord, again. We've, we've seen great victories and great mountaintops and deep valleys and hardships and disappointments and tears. And yet, Lord, by your grace, here we are. Give us wisdom. Give us tender hearts. Help us to, to love one another, Lord, and to be always praying fervently and genuinely for one another, bearing one another's burdens, serving you from a pure heart, confessing and dealing with sin with fierceness, not kid gloves, but with, with determination to kill that sin that remains in us so that we would be a, a faithful witness for you in this world. And when we fail, being eager to say, Lord, the, the problem was not them, it was me. 
I was wrong. I'm at fault. And to be quick to confess our sins and not hide it and cover it up and make excuses. And then, Lord, going forward, we are most happy to see how you have provided for us genuine men and qualified and and desiring to serve this church. Thank you for this. This is your work. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. How blessed we are to see it. How I have waited for this day for many years. Thinking, Lord, that maybe it wouldn't come. And yet here we are on the verge and on the eve. May your hand be on this place and on your people. And may it be a bright light to this community for your glory, for the glory of Jesus, for the furthering of your gospel. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.